Connor, like me, I know that you have read and enjoyed Ishiguro, am I right? Yes, so Kazuo, no less, the Nobel Laureate for Literature in 2017. Yep, absolutely love his stuff. One of my favorites is his novel, Never Let Me Go. I've had many a sleepless night, thanks to that novel. <laughs> um, it was also made into a film a few, few years back. Who told you these stories? Everybody knows them. And how do you know they're true? Of course they're true. You make up stories as horrible as that. Spoiler alert for those of you who have not read or seen the movie. It is set in a dystopian future. Humans are being grown for organ replacement. Exactly. It is like this whole other group of humans kept separate from the population and they're just there as like exact spares. And of course, Ishiguro represents all of this under the umbrella of dystopia. But I actually started wondering if there are any real life examples of this idea. Maybe not partic a particular separate human population. Like maybe there's a parallel Connor and Dodie somewhere not making a podcast, but growing organs. Actually, not so dark, not so dark. <laughs> but, but maybe there is an innovative way forward when it comes to transplants and, and helping us survive with healthy organs. Ah, okay, I like it. So it's like the Matrix, but it's organ farming. Right. I guess that's what matters in today's episode. That's right. In fact, let's never let me go. No, she did. Yeah, she you did. did. <laughs> it, the moment of, of trauma and then the moment of needing a cure. How do we replace what is lost, what is damaged? How do we fix the problem? That becomes the foresight of our minds. And the more we can create a better supply of these things, and also in a humane and ethical way, I think that the end results, those justify the means. So who is this talking so poetically? Meet John. My name is John Adkins. I'm the co-founder of Xeno Therapeutics. Okay, so I assume Xeno with an X and not a Z. It's not from huh? paradoxical Greek philosopher, but Xeno <laughs> as in foreign, right? So That's it's right. transplants, it's organs for humans grown in other species. Exactly. It stemmed from the term xenotransplantation, which is the uh, transplantation from different species. And how did John get involved with xenotransplantation? Well, it all started from a fascination with how the donor system works. Now, when, when individuals pass away and their donor providers, uh, organ donors specifically, that's the first phase because organs, you know, will, will become necrotic very quickly. So then from that, uh, tissues can be harvested as well, skin, bone, cartilage, etc. And there's there's quite a large industry that's involved with it. But one of the things that I did see in that business is that there wasn't a whole lot of continuity in, in the actual donors. You know, it, it varied in ages and stages of the donors. The more John looked into the idea of transplanting from different species, the more he thought... Well, this is fascinating. You know, if you could change the source of human donor tissue to some something that's a genetically engineered uh, porcine donor, man, that could be a complete game changer. So we started through the process of how can we do a tech transfer with this? You know, where do these animals stem from? And we really opened up Pandora's box for all the history that was involved in it. 
but seeing just the the what I like to call the low hanging fruit with skin and tissue, uh, there's a real opportunity here to make something different in a live biotherapeutic product, and that's what we embarked on. Okay, so before we go any further, can we get a little bit of perspective here? When did xenotransplantation really first become something that you know we would think about? Good point. It it has been around for a while. Today, we're seeing a bit of a resurgence. And the reason for this can be traced back to the late 1990s when a temporary suspension of xenotransplantation activity was enforced because there was a big concern for safety. You know, is there going to be an endogenous retrovirus on the heels of the HIV that was going on? Not to mention, you know, the complexity and immunological problems with both hyperacute rejection and acute rejection. But as I said, today, people are starting to see the potential of xenotransplantation again. And with this resurgence, you know, the possibilities now become a lot more hopeful. And we're, we're seeing it. It's actually being more accepted in terms of uh, the medical community to take risks in doing this. So this thing that strikes me here, right, is that potentially you suddenly have this kind of unlimited supply of organs, right? Exactly. We're looking at the, just the gestation of pigs, you know, three months, three weeks, three days before another litter is produced and we can really deliver cells, tissues and organs fair, faster, more efficiently and really optimize it. We're not just talking internal organs here. So we're talking about transplants. Skin is a transplant. Skin is the largest organ in the body. And when we're looking at burns, you know, you don't think about burns too often. And seeing it firsthand, as I mentioned, it really makes you think. And it can happen to anyone. Anything can happen, whether it's, you know, boiling water, just accidents that happen. And you can wake up in the OR and just the devastating injury that's occurring and then not knowing what the course of action is. Our skin is this incredible organ. It helps regulate our temperature. It prevents infection. There are so many good reasons to say thank you to our skin. So when those cells are damaged or lost, we have to replace them. And that's why skin grafts are the gold standard of care in burns. So we need to be able to provide skin grafts. And by using a live biotherapeutic product that we've created with Xenoskin from these genetically engineered animals, we can actually provide this uh, at scale. John says one of the biggest challenges here when it comes to xenotransplantation is immunity and mismatches. You know, that just animals in general, the, the, the biggest one that we found was the A13 alpha galactose transferase or, or alpha gal that all animals have. It's a sugar moiety on their cells that we as humans have antibodies for. So as soon as we're, it's transplanted within our body, our antibodies create hyperacute rejection and it's it's rejected. So the complexity, especially with internal organs, uh, becomes very vast. So as technology gets better, John and his team at Xenotherapeutics are aiming to get better, to make better genetic edits to these animals to account for those mismatches. And that's ultimately what we're looking to do when you can create a universal off the shelf, 
you can do haplotype matching general sense you know i think even if you're if you're staving off mortality for six months a year two years what does that mean to that individual and their families i think that's the ultimate goal okay wow this is epic this is like personalized medicine personalized organ transplantation but at massive scale yes it is and uh, you know personalized it, it becomes a little more nuanced you know it can't just be me right you, can, you can't just manufacture another me in that sense but i think you know that term of, of being universal or universally adaptive is more in line with it but yeah i agree and personalized medicine is going to be the medicine of the future that you know when we treat a, an individual with a disease we want to treat and understand what the individual is going through and what their body's reacting to and not just throwing generic drugs or treatments that aren't necessarily going to work. So where does John see xenotherapeutics developing in the next 10 years? I mean, what does he need from the biotechnology industry so that they can take the next step? And I think what we have done is starting down the course, really, how do we pave that path? regulatory speaking, from everything from CVM on the FDA side to the CBER side of things, it's very complex and no one really has an answer. The difference between pioneers and settlers is pioneers have arrows in their backs. So we're taking some arrows to figure that out. Ultimately for John, this is all coming down to the exciting idea of staving off preventable mortality. So why die early if you don't have to? If we can create something in nature's own biofactory, you know, Mother Nature knows best. If we can harness Mother Nature and adapt and modify and, and make something more optimized, and then we can provide those live biotherapeutic products to patients that will actually cure necessarily instead of just chasing symptoms and going back and forth, but actually replacing what was lost, that to me is, is delivering on the promise of regenerative medicine. Okay, that is super cool. Um, what else is out there? Well, we're gonna get a little creepy and crawly to answer that question. Okay, good. This is Dr. Frank Zal. He's all about worms. Worms. Yes. So I know you yeah. like your garden. But I'm not, not talking about worms. earthworms. This is not okay. earthworms. These are worms that prefer the seaside. Dr. Frank says the important and fascinating thing to know about worms is that they live in the sea and rivers. So polycayeta worms? So it's very interesting to find species living in different environments. And since the worm, there is a 10,000 species of worm, it's very easy to work. For example, when you, when you are very interested by respiration, to take a look about species colonizing different environments, instead to try to find a solution just on one species. So we're talking about comparative physiology, right? Looking yeah. at other animals to understand how we work. Oh, yeah. That's exactly right. So one day, Dr. Zoll, a marine biologist, was standing on a beach in his beloved Brittany, and he was watching the tide, low tide, high tide, low tide, high tide. It just happens like that every day. Yeah, yeah, it's back amazing, and forth, back and forth. And he started thinking about worms. 
and he was looking at those little sandworms, the lugworm, as they're also known. Uh, the humble lugworm, bait of choice for the discerning angler, mm, and a sweetly right. pile of poo on the beach for all of us. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> so there was Dr. Zoll on the beach. He started asking himself a question. Sometimes there's always a breakthrough innovation coming from basic question. That yeah. question was, how do these sandworms breathe between low tide and high tide? This question was the beginning of it all for Dr. Zoll. I focused my attention on the blood of this animal, and I discovered a very strange uh, re respiratory pigment. We have hemoglobin inside the red blood cell, and we know that oxygenation, uh, respiration, is something which is central to the life on Earth. And I discovered to this worm uh, a very special molecule, which is very close to human blood, hemoglobin of human blood, but totally different because it's not included on red blood cell. Basically, what he realized was that unlike humans who have hemoglobin stored in red blood cells, the lugworm, with all of its intricate specifics, has hemoglobin directly dissolved in their blood. So what that means is their blood is compatible with all types of human blood. Okay, so now I see the link to xenotransplantation. Yep. With doing it already, the lugworm is basically the grubbiest, strangest, littlest, weirdest universal blood donor. Exactly. That's so cool. So next time, dear listener, you are out on a beach and picking lugworms for bait, think that little critter could save your life. There is a bench, you know, there is a bench of innovation with a common species, common animal, common invertebrate. But you, you just need to ask you other questions that, yes, it's a sea urchin, okay, we're going to eat. This one is a starfish, okay, no, we cannot eat. You know, every question that human being asking themselves, how, you know, I can use it to eat or to do something. My vision is, the, you know, you need to ask you why the worm is here. You know, it's just, a, you can ask the question, but most of the people don't ask this question. At first, perhaps not oddly, after his discovery, people in the scientific world thought that Dr. Frank was a bit mad with his talk of blood and worms. People said, this guy is crazy. It's not, it's impossible. Just because we know that in the medical area, all blood is contained in a red blood cell. And this guy is totally crazy. Then one day he was invited to give a talk at a hospital in Paris. So I was marine biology, arriving in the hospital, making a talk about worm. And the people said, at the beginning, they are laughing, said, what's he going, what's he's going to talk and so on. And at the end of my talk, the people said, are you sure? Because we are looking at that over 40 years by now. I said, yes, and there is a plenty on the beach. And now people refer to Dr. Frank Zoll's discovery as as important as penicillin. Okay, so this is just brilliant. I'm feeling super inspired. Um, I could just go down to my local pond now, and if I kind of knew what I was doing, <laughs> ding, ding, I'd ding. find a cure for something. Maybe. Yeah, a bit of digging. So with that inspiration in mind, does Dr. Zahl have advice for kind of young scientists who are looking to have their own lugworm moment uh, one day? 
there is a, a, a citation, a quotation coming from a very old guy called Leonardo da Vinci. He said, take the innovation from the nature. So, you know, he was the first to do that. In my point of view, it's to go back to the nature and try to learn about the nature and avoid to destroy the biodiversity. It's not, you know, for just ecology, political ecology. It's just because the biodiversity is a library of innovation. So it's very easy. Go to the beach, go out, try to ask you questions that nobody asks you about, about tree, about why this muscle is here, why this bird is living here. And you can find, a, believe me, you can find a bunch of innovation. Okay, back to Leonardo, of course. Um, I know, isn't it so great? And this it? is exactly, it's, it, we've talked about serendipity so much on this podcast, and it, we've talked about curiosity, and here it is, you know, from, from lugworm to xenotransplantation to possibly, you know, having spare parts somewhere exactly. in a lab helping us yeah. live longer. Wow. And I feel a little bit like Scully, but it's not that the answer is out there. It's just <laughs> the answer is out there. We just have to look in the right places and, and maybe stop making all of the dumb mistakes, right? Um, but those help as well. Our beach-going executive producer is Andrea Killen, and this podcast is produced with the help of Bethany Grace Armit Brewster. Editing, mixing, and music is by Tom Henley and Banda Productions. My name is Dodie Axelson. And I'm Connor McKechnie. Make sure you rate us on Spotify or whichever platform you use. If you're listening on Spotify, answer the poll underneath the episode Please. description. We're kind of interested in what you think. We'll see you when we come back with another episode of Discovery Matters. Discovery Matters.